Tonight, Larry spoke a little bit about China, and I had the privilege of visiting China a few couple years ago, and one of the things I've always wanted to see was the Great Wall of China. It was impressive. This thing stretches so far. It's the only human landmark they say that a satellite from space can pick up very distinctly. And I went up to the Great Wall, and of course the Great Wall of China was built to keep out invaders. But did you know that three times the Great Wall of China was breached? It was breached because gatekeepers were bribed. They didn't get through the wall, they got through the gates. The people guarding the gates let the robbers, let the invaders in. I feel like that is happening to our nation. I think our nation is collapsing because the gatekeepers don't care who comes in. Everything that was held dear and sacred to us is being tossed out the window. You've seen that this last couple weeks. Things that stood for greatness in this nation are totally discarded in the name of liberty. We dare not let that happen to the church. And unfortunately, the church gets so influenced by the world... And we want to fit in and we want the world to pat us on the back and love us and feel like, oh, we're just like you are, that we'll almost capitulate to anything to get them to like us. We've got to understand that Jesus said, marvel not if the whole world hates you. Blessed are you when they persecute you and revile you and say all manner of things against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice! So persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Jude wanted to make sure that the corruption of the world did not ruin the church, and so he wrote this epistle. He did not want the gatekeepers of the church to let in attackers. Now the verses that we read tonight, verses um, 16 through 19, we're going to cover all of them, ends the longest paragraph in this book. The paragraph begins back in verse 5. And from verse 5 all the way through verse 19 is a continual string of thoughts as Jude describes false teachers who spread false teaching throughout the church. And we've gone slowly because each description is a portrait in and of itself. In the previous verses that we covered last week, Jude, Jude tells us the future judgment of these false teachers and false believers how that God will bring judgment upon them. In these verses, verses 16 through 19, he tells us how they act now. The previous verses tell of the future judgment, but now he tells us how these false people act now in our church as a part of the fellowship. Remember, Jesus said that the enemy sows tares among the wheat. And so... Notice his language, verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, in contradistinction to them, in other words, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, 
not having the Spirit. Remember that Jude said, these people creep in to your fellowship unnoticed. Verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord God into licentiousness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The most notable thing that we see in these verses, verses 16 through 19, is their mouth. And so I've called this message, Mouths That Reveal and Divide. That's really what he's centering on. That One of the ways you notice them is that with their mouth, they give it away. They complain, they murmur, they gossip, they divide the body. Mouths that reveal. Now, I know Jude is speaking about apostates, these false teachers, but there is application to us. There's a warning, at least, to us throughout the Scripture about that same sin. I'd like you to just keep your marker here and turn back, turn left, and go to James. James chapter 3 for just a moment. Another heavy-hitting book. Verse 1, James 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a complete teleos, perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body... Look at ships. Although they're so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defies, excuse me, defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Is your tongue a fountain or a babbling brook? Think back to the last few conversations you had. I mean real conversations, not just small talk, hi, how you doing, how's the weather, where you engaged with somebody in conversation. You had meaningful discourse. Did it degenerate into gossip and complaining, into babbling about somebody else? Or was it edifying like a fountain? Um, you know, there are some people, the minute you talk to them, you know where the conversation's going. They're just that sort. They, have, you know, event, they might say a couple of good things, but it's always somebody or something that they're going to murmur about, especially somebody in the body of Christ they're going to complain about. And it's degenerating. The problem is the heart. That's right. Whenever you hear that, know that the problem is not just a speech problem, it's a heart problem. For Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Whatever's here will come out here. In the book of Proverbs, chapter uh, 10, 
Proverbs 10, verse 20. We read, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is worth little. I'd like to read that to you in the Living Bible. When a good man speaks, he's worth listening to. But the words of fools are a dime a dozen. That's great. Are you worth listening to? Or are your words a dime a dozen? Like the fool or like the righteous man? What if somebody paid us all, as a nation even? If somebody paid you $10 every time you spoke something good about someone, And they extracted from you $5 for everything you said evil about another person. Would you be wealthy? Or would we really compound the national debt? A young lady came to John Wesley, the evangelist, and said, I finally discovered my talent. He said, well, what is it? She said, my talent is to give people a piece of my mind. And Wesley said, I think that's one talent the Lord wouldn't mind if you buried. I think that could be said of a lot of people. The tongue is unruly. And one of the marks of these people who come in is that they're murmurers, they're complainers, they are flatterers, and they divide the body of Christ with their gossip. Look at, at verse 16. Again, there's the description. These are murmurers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth Great, swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. The word murmurers, I found out, is the Greek word gangustes, which even sounds bad, right? Just the word itself sounds like it's a murmuring kind of a word. It originally meant the cooing of a dove. In other words, this is not the out loud to another person complaining. This is the murmur under your breath. Complaining about God is what it means. The cooing of a dove, the undertone muttering is murmuring. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, said, The very word murmur, how simple it is, made up of two infantile sounds, mur, mur. No sense in it, no wit in it, no thought in it. It's just the cry of a brute and not a man. Murmur, just a double groan. Now, in the New Testament, and this is important for the reason of our text, in the New Testament, there are groups of people who murmured against the Lord. And every time we find a murmur, it's not not a Christian doing it. It's usually an unregenerate religious person who didn't like Jesus or apostate disciples who decided not to follow Him. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. In Luke chapter 19, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He's gone to be a guest with the man that is a sinner. And then in John's gospel, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never hunger, the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And some of his disciples, not the twelve, others the fringe, murmured at it, and many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This is complaining against God, complaining against Christ, or complaining against someone that God has set up. The same word that was used of the children of Israel murmuring at Moses. 
And God said, they're not murmuring at you, Moses. They're murmuring against me. And it's important that you know that one follows the other. Murmuring will lead to complaining. Complaining will lead to walking after the flesh and flattering people to gain advantage, as we read in the same verse. You might think, well, come on, murmuring, it's such a minor kind of a thing. Well, listen to what God says about it in the book of Psalms. But the children of Israel murmured in their tents, and they did not hearken to the voice of the Lord. Using that example, the Apostle Paul said, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. And Paul says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Again, murmuring is that undertone, under your breath, I'm kind of mad and I'm voicing my anger at God for allowing that to happen. The next word, complaining, means the opposite. It's the out loud, verbal, give you a piece of my mind that I can't afford to lose type of a thing. I'm going to make sure that my complaint is voiced. Murmuring uh, is the first one and followed quickly on the heels is that of complaining. Mark translates the exact same word to find fault. In fact, I think if you have a New American Standard Bible, doesn't it say fault finders? If you have one, I think that's the rendering of it. You're finding fault. Same word. Complaining, finding fault. And you've just got to tell that to somebody. You've got to just make it known that you're unhappy. Uh, Let me read the context of it. In the Gospel of Mark, listen who's doing the complaining. When some of them, that is the Pharisees, saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands. They found fault. There's the word, complained. They found fault. And to Jesus they said, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? That was their complaint. Now, when they asked Jesus that, it caused a response in Jesus that is one of the most severe responses that he gave to these fellows. He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, saying, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And he went on to say, And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Now it always follows. When a person leaves the truth, they will do two things. They will murmur against God and they will complain about God's people. Now that's a sobering thought. As you read the book of Jude, it's a sobering thought to think that many of the people who are in churches across this country and this world, who are the murmurers and the complainers and the dividers, are not believers But those who have turned away from the truth and hardened their heart against God's people, they murmur against God, they complain about God's people and God's leadership. Now, I want to give a little latitude because as Christians, some of us fall into that sin. Though it should not be our habitual pattern of living. We've seen that in 1 John on Sunday morning. But we fall into sin. We fall into grumbling and murmuring and complaining. But it's sobering to think that many of those who do are just professing Christians, professing to be God's people like the Pharisees and like the disciples. But notice how consistently Jude earmarks these false prophets with this. Look back at verse 8. He says, they speak evil. Look at verse 10. These speak evil. And then verse 16, murmurers and complainers. Now listen to Paul the Apostle as he warns you as a Christian what to do with these kinds of people. 
who murmur against God and complain consistently against God's people. Listen carefully. Paul the Apostle says, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone who is named a brother, who's called a Christian, who is, among other things in this list, a reviler. Same idea. The consistent mouth that reveals who or he or she is. And then he says, not even to eat with such a person. Now, as a Christian, think, as, as a believer tonight, you're one of God's children. What do you have to complain about as a Christian? Oh, listen, I know the world is pretty rotten. I know that even this country is pretty rotten. But when it comes to God's people, a church, a fellowship, a kinship group, you might not like the way that kinship leader does things or the way that person does this or that or that style. But really, what do you have to complain about? Charles Spurgeon said, As long as man is alive and out of hell, he cannot have any cause to complain. Good perspective. Good perspective. Now bear in mind that as a Christian, you won't be able to escape criticism. You'll get criticized. The world's going to criticize you and false believers are going to criticize you. And uh, in fact, the more you do the more you will be criticized. The more actively you become involved in being a real, authentic Christian, the more of a target you are. You want to escape criticism? You want to escape persecution? Do nothing, and you'll be all right. But the minute you say, I'm going to get involved in these projects, I'm going to go down and sponsor that cottage, I'm going to go down and share my faith, I'm going to make sure that God's kingdom is represented at work, I'm going to get up and do something, I'm going to make it known. When you do that, you're going to expect fireworks and complaint and criticism. And it's going to come from all sorts. You you just can't escape it. I found a story I wanted to share with you. There's a story of an old man who he and his grandson were going. This is an old, old story. And the old man was walking. The grandson was sitting on the donkey. And they were traveling from one city to another. And the man heard a group of people say, Would you look at that old man suffering on his feet while that strong young boy is totally capable of walking? So the old man rode the donkey and the boy walked. And as they continued to walk, some people were heard saying, Would you look at that, a healthy man making that poor young boy suffer. Can you believe it? And so the man and the boy both rode the donkey and they heard some people saying, Would you look at that? That heavy load and those heavy brutes making that poor donkey suffer so much. So finally, they both got off and walked until they heard some people say, Would you look at that waste of a perfectly good donkey not being used? And so finally, in the story, the scene shifts to the boy and the old man carrying the donkey. I'm sure all the animal rights people were excited about that one. You can't please everybody, there's going to be some complaining. Notice in that verse, the description continues, They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now, I'm going to read to you what Peter said. It's very, very close to the book of Jude, the second epistle of Peter. And Peter speaks about the same group, and he uses this description. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. I thought about that description as I was watching the news the last couple days. 
great swelling words of emptiness. As I saw the administration debating about gays in the military and and making certain decisions without really leaning upon the um, background and the expertise of real leaders in this country. But I watched the press agent, George Stephanopoulos, try to go back and forth and try to explain the decisions of the cabinet. And I thought, great swelling words. You know, where you're just skilled in rhetoric and you don't really say what it is, you just say, you just try to butter it up and gloss it over and make it sound good without really being definitive and uh, not leaving people with really any information. But anyway, that's just my little soapbox. Let's get back to the text. (laughs) The idea here is that these people try to impress with their oratory, that is, with their spiritual talk, their God talk, when they have something else in mind. They're flattering people to get advantage. Great swelling words of emptiness. Um, You might call it manipulation. Flattery is simply the art of telling somebody what he already believes about himself. There's a couple different types of manipulators. There's an aggressive manipulator and there's a passive manipulator. I think you know the difference. An aggressive manipulator will yell at you, will push you, come on, man, to try to get you to do his thing. He'll use force, intimidation. If that doesn't work, a person will often resort to passive manipulation, make you feel guilty. Well, guy, brother, why wouldn't you do that for me, bro? What kind of a Christian are you? You can always tell when you're in the midst of a manipulator, your anxiety level rises. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's when that other person doesn't love you enough to let you make your own choice. He'll pressure you. You know that Jesus never did that. He never manipulated people either aggressively or passively. He let people make their own choice. Look at the rich young ruler. When Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. The young man went away sorrowfully. Now did Jesus run after him and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Look, let's negotiate, all right? I mean, listen, I can, I can compromise on this. I, I really need you on my side. Would you just sign up? I want you in my church Sunday. He didn't say that. He didn't go after him at all. The young man went away sorrowfully. Judas, even though Jesus appealed to him, I believe, at the Last Supper in trying to minister to him, wash his feet, and give him some of the food that was next to him, he let Judas make his own choice. You can always tell when... There are people who are manipulating. They will say things to you to get something from you. And I'm always careful when I hear great swelling words of flattery. Because sometimes people use that sandwich philosophy. That is, the bread is the flattery, and inside is the criticism or I want something from you. And so it's like, boy, you're so wonderful, you're so awesome, wow, 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 wow. And then... You know what? Boom, I need this from you. And then, wow, you're so neat. You're so awesome. And they're just, they're trying to get something. They don't really mean it. It's not from the heart. Flattering people to gain advantage. Verse 17. But you, beloved, beloved of God, actually, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to just stop right there. Notice the first part of that verse. It's important to us. Remember the words which were spoken before. You know, John was writing to the church 
who had been infiltrated, and you know their names by now quite well because of our Sunday morning and Thursday night messages, the Gnostics. The Gnostics had new revelations from God. They would say, well, I know it's not in your Bible, but I got a new revelation from God. Now, you've got to listen to this. I mean, the Word of God is great, the Scripture is great, but this is new. And what he's saying is, test that which is new. We're going to cover that test Sunday morning. But the idea here is, cling to that which you've already heard. And notice what he says, which were spoken by the apostles. Now, anytime you want to test a doctrine, ask yourself, did the apostles teach it? There's a lot of things people practice, but the definitive test is, did Jesus speak about it? Was it practiced in the book of Acts? Did the apostles teach on it? That becomes New Testament doctrine. So, ask yourself, for example, being slain in the Spirit. So-called. It's not a scriptural term. It's an extra scriptural term. That is, you know, blowing on somebody, having them fall backwards and hit their heads. Uh, you know, is, is that a really a blessing from God? Is that scriptural? Well, just a, a, take the test. Did Jesus speak about it, predict it? Was it practiced in the book of Acts? Did the disciples actively write about it as a practice in the church? No. So it's quite easy to dismiss those things that are New Testament doctrine and those things which are not. Those things spoken of by the apostle. Verse 18, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly or godless, ungodly lusts. Excuse me. They are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. You know, Jesus and the disciples always predicted that apostasy would come. It shouldn't bother us. It shouldn't shake us. It should bother us, but it shouldn't take us off guard. Now, we've already gone in the last several weeks through so many scriptures that were predicted about the coming apostasy. But listen to what Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Peter predicted that in the last time, scoffers would come. And they would say, oh, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were before, teaching of uniformitarianism. In other words, you Christians talk about Jesus coming. Oh, that's a pipe dream. I mean, my grandma said that, her grandma said that, and it goes way back, but... There's no change. It's always going to be like this. It's always going to be bad. It's always going to be just like it is now. And they will scoff at the Scripture. They will mock you because you believe in the Bible, that it's the inerrant Word of God. And one thing leads to another. They will murmur. They will complain. They will speak flattery to gain their own advantage. And that will lead to ungodly lusts. Eventually they'll be able to do In fact, that's why they do it. They mock the Bible because if the Bible was a part of their lives, they'd have to change their behavior. It's a moral issue, really. Once I admit the existence of God and believe that God is who He says He is, then I know that He demands an account of my life, and I don't want to change my lifestyle. So it's convenient to say there is no God. Which allows me to do all of these things and live the way I want to in ungodly lusts. That's what I want to do in the first place. One thing leads to another. The other mark, we'll close with this, is verse 19. They are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. They divide. 
We've already seen examples of this. Remember how Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians that people are coming in at the love feasts and they're forming little cliques, little groups that are causing division. Instead of drawing a circle to invite people in, they have their little cliques and circle to push people out. And they're causing division. Paul said, There should be no division in the body, but the parts should have the same care one for another. Is dividing the body of Christ really a big issue to God? Is it really all that a big deal? Well, then uh, let the words of Paul to Titus answer that question. Reject a divisive man after the first and second warning. Reject him. The idea is push him out of the fellowship. If after the second warning he does not stop causing division by murmuring, by complaining, by great swelling words of flattery and by gossip that would push people out. If he's unrepentant after the first and second admonition, being divisive, reject. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. We should also call to mind the words of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. He says, there are seven things that God hates. And the last thing on the list is he who sows discord among the brethren. God hates that. God is a God of love. But because he's a God of love, God hates And one of the things God hates is division, splitting up the body of Christ to gain advantage. One of the ways that is done is gossip. We've touched on this several times, and I don't want to belabor the issue, but I think that this is something that we should really take heed to as Christians. Because it's a very convenient kind of a sin. It's easy to do. It's a few words. But in a few moments' time, you can destroy a person's reputation. And perhaps that accusation isn't true at all. I heard one person say, well, Christians don't gossip. They just share prayer requests with each other. Oh, listen, this is really burdening my heart about this person. Don't tell anyone, really. Really? Oh, that's heavy. Don't worry. I'll pray about it. And then they're so burdened, they've got to tell their prayer partner, their little friend, and pretty soon 50,000 people know about their little prayer request. I found this uh, engraving on a tombstone. It was in a book. There is actually a cemetery in England, a churchyard, that instead of saying about this woman that she was born on a certain day and she died on a certain date, on the gray slate tombstone in the churchyard... The etchings read, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. (laughs) This gal obviously had a reputation in that part of England for really being a gossip. But that's how churches are divided, by saying things about another brother or sister that aren't true. Now, there is a certain kind of division that is necessary. That is, when you make a distinction between truth and error. That's different. In fact, when you stand up for the truth, it's often those who cling to that which is false that cause the division. I think of Martin Luther and Zwingli and uh, Savonarola and those reformers who came in and stood for the Bible. They didn't come and beat on the door and say, hey, we're quitting. They were pushed out by the other side. Because they wanted to stand up for what was right and they wouldn't be listened to. 
Paul describes them, excuse me, Jude describes them in verse, uh, I just closed my Bible, the verse that we just read, as being sensual persons who cause division, not having the Spirit. Now those are a couple interesting words. First of all, let me back up. The people who were the false teachers, the Gnostics, divided people into two groups. There were the real spiritual ones, that was them, and there were the real ordinary ones, the sensual ones, that was all of you. That's how they looked at it. The words that they used are the same words that Jude uses here. The real spiritual enlightened one, the select few, the elite Gnostics, they called the pneumaticoi, spiritual ones. The other ordinary Christians who didn't really know the truth like they knew the truth were called sukikoi. They lived according to the soul, very soulish. Jude reverses their language and says, let me tell you about these false teachers. They are sensual. They are sukikoi. They do not have the pneuma, the spirit that they claim to have. They're the reverse of what they claim. They claim to be spiritual. They are sensual. They claim that you are not godly. You are beloved of God. And you don't need new revelations. And so what Jude is doing is really protecting the church so that the gatekeepers don't let in those who would want to assault and get into the church with false pernicious teaching. And mouths that would complain, murmur, divide the body of Christ. Because God places a high emphasis on unity, having the bond of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we might be guarded, that your Holy Spirit would enable us to be on our guard. That, Father, we wouldn't let through the gates that which is false and pernicious to the rest of the body. We know that many arenas of the kingdom of God have already been polluted. The last thing we want to become is elitists thinking that we're the most spiritual. Lord, we come to you humbly knowing that we depend upon the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We need you to reveal the truth. We need to stick close to the Word of God and rely upon the Holy Spirit's moving and guiding. And Father, as we do, I pray that we would not fall into the sin of murmur and complaining and flattery to gain advantage by manipulation nor sowing discord among the brethren and dividing people against each other. I pray that we would reflect by what we say. We would reflect the kingdom and the glory of God. For you said from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I pray, Lord, that instead of great swelling words of emptiness, instead of saying words to no profit, pray that we would use our mouths for the edification of the body of Christ, the building up of one another, and to warn believers and to herald the gospel. Lord, I want to thank you for the fellowship that we've enjoyed tonight and are still enjoying and will enjoy after we dismiss the service with one another. Thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing with Nick the work on all the people that are working down there at YDC. We pray that you'll raise up an army of 
Christians from the churches in this town to get alongside of them and work. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up prayer warriors and a base of support for Larry over in China. And Lord, as Joe and Dia go down to Silver City, Father, you'd bless their work. Bring alongside of them co-laborers who would give of themselves to teach and to share. And Father, may we spend our lives in the things of the Spirit rather than that which is fleshly and soulish. For we ask it in Jesus' name.